around God's Word. If you haven't turned there yet, Ephesians 3 is where we'll be today. I get the, the notion that as I grow older, I find myself more and more, and I think you probably uh, that are in my season of life, maybe you online, can identify with, but I find myself misplacing or losing things more often. You find that true for yourself? How many of you would be willing to admit you've had somebody call your cell phone just so you can find it? Let me see your hands. Yeah, right? And heaven help us if that cell phone is on silent. <laughs> Maybe days before we find it. Of course, our, our cell phones aren't the only thing we lose. Uh, I find myself uh, searching for my glasses, my eyeglasses at times. And I'll walk through the house, um, maybe halfway through the house, and realize it's on top of my head. And so, uh, crazy. I, th I think it has been said that of all the things that I have lost, what I miss most is my mind. And, and I'm finding myself there as well. Uh, young people, you, you may be saying, well, that's, that's pretty insane, but if the Lord tarries, uh, you'll be there, so be kind to us in this phase of life. So, um, many things I find myself losing. The remote, right? That's right up there. Where is that remote? Janet, where'd you put the remote? We go through that. Uh, car keys, your purse, your wallet, uh, passwords, your favorite articles of clothing. Where are they? How is it that I'm misplacing so many things? And, and that's life. And, and truth about that is, yeah, we lose things. And it's inconvenient and sometimes costly if we have to replace something. But isn't it true that, that life goes on? It's not the end. Life goes on. But I wonder if we're losing heart or hope, how does that affect us? How does it affect our spirit when the hope we've had in the things that have gotten us through before seems to be diminishing? It's a difficult place for us to be. And no matter where you are, what you're experiencing, there is hope. You think of the political season now we've, we've entered. And, and I'm just tired politically of hearing it. I'm tired of seeing the failure of our government and the economy that they don't seem to grasp how to control a budget. Of course, closer to home as individuals, things aren't much better as we find ourselves in storms that we never asked for. We find ourselves in relational struggles that pose the question, will this ever change? We begin to suffocate. We lose heart, hope, and a path to something better. Now, that may be a, a down note to begin on, but I'm not staying there, folks. Calvary family, friends, visitors today, I want to let you know that in spite of the fact when you thought there was no hope, there is Jesus, the God of hope. And we're going to be looking at Scripture today to encourage our hearts that no matter what you're going through, no matter how overwhelmed you're experiencing right now, Scripture has hope for us because of Jesus. 
And for our consideration today, we're going to look once again at uh, Ephesians. And I will continue in the introduction by looking at chapter 3 and begin with verses 20 and 21 and what is considered to be the high point or the focus of the entire epistle. So follow along in verse 20 when it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Verse 21, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. My friends, that is exactly what we need this year. And that as well is the theme for our series. God's glory through the church in Christ. And I'm going to pray for our message today. I'm going to pray for our series. And I'm going to ask God to do great and amazing things because this epistle is so good as God has orchestrated a way for us to experience fullness in him. And as I pray and ask God to bless the word today, maybe you need to have a prayer and go before God and say, God, renew my spirit. God, use the word today to help me to get to that place where I can experience that fullness. It may be a prayer of surrender. It may be a prayer of confession. But as I pray, let whatever you pray come for your heart that God can have his way today. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the God of hope. And today, Lord, you know each need here. You know what this church body represents, the difficulties we have faced last year and what we are going through this year. And Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for our Savior. We thank you for your word. And we pray that, Lord, you would use this series as the team has prayed and asked, Lord, to give us something that restores our hope in you throughout this year, that you would use the Ephesians epistle, the word of God, to change us, to mold us, to shape us, to energize us, and to be closer to our Savior. For we ask this in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Amen. So the book of Ephesians is divided into two halves. First half is doctrinal. The second half is practical. In the first three chapters, it describes our new position in Christ. As we get to the second three, four to six, it demonstrates our new practices for Christ. And the crescendo of the first half and the launching pad for that second half, that's our text today. It's an amazing portion of Scripture that can do great things in our life. And in context, I'm going to begin in verse 1 and get down then to verses 14 to 21. But listen to what the Expositor's Bible commentary says. It says the doxology is plainly the climax of the first half of Ephesians and may be regarded as the climax of the whole letter, which rises to a spiritual peak at this point and then concentrates on practical outworkings. That's well said. And I think in those outworkings, folks, your heavenly Father wants you to experience fullness. Fullness of life, fullness of joy, and fullness of God himself. And today's text shows exactly how we can experience the fullness of God in our lives. And just as the woman at the well responded to Jesus 
when he said to her, I will give you a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. She recognized the benefit of what he was saying, and her response was, Sir, give me that water. I've been praying for you all week. I've been praying for us as a church family. I've been praying for visitors today that I didn't know you would be here, but you are. I spent Friday in the auditorium on these steps, at this pulpit, at those chairs, walking around and seeing your faces. I know we struggle as individuals, and I've prayed for you. And I'm praying that you will respond as that woman at the well, recognizing your need for the fullness of God, and that you're surrendered to that today. Well, as we've encouraged our community groups, when studying the Word, use some simple principles that will help you get the most out of the text. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. What we want to do today is first look at the text. What does it say? That's observation. Secondly, we want to consider what does it mean? That's interpretation. We read the scriptures. We want to understand the meaning of it. But perhaps most importantly, what does it mean to us personally? That's application. And so I'm going to begin with some observations that perhaps will help us as we look into this text of what it means for us. And once again, for context, I'll begin in verse 1 of chapter 3. And there Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as Paul begins, sounds like he is about to pray. And then suddenly for the next 12 verses, he begins to speak about the beauty and the mystery of the church. I found that comforting to me, and maybe it's comforting to you, because you find yourself at times when you're praying, your mind wandering. And I think the Holy Spirit gives us a glimpse to the human side of Paul as his mind seemed to wander and think of other things. And, and I find myself as well, when I'm praying, there are other things that come into my mind. And I shift focus sometimes when, when I'm praying. But I think it's important for us to recognize to keep the main thing the main thing when we're praying. I think that's why it's so beneficial to have a prayer closet, to be in seclusion when we're praying, to pray with a list and to have in mind to stay on target for what, what God has for us. A second observation as we look at verse 14 is that this prayer is Trinitarian. All three members of the Trinity are referred to in Paul's prayer. Verse 14 says, I bow my knees to the Father. Verse 16 says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. He says, in, in, uh, that's verse 17, verse 16, he says, to be strengthened with might through the Spirit. And I love the example that Paul gives us of how we should pray, addressing prayers to the Father through the Son and in the Spirit. Now, of course, it's appropriate to address the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We pray to God the Father, but each of these is appropriate. Another observation, and I believe an important one, is that this prayer is focused on the inner person, not on our physical needs, not on our bodies. So many of our prayers have to do with our health and our physical needs. Paul is concerned more with how we're doing on the inside. I'm convinced that if we prayed more about the inside, the spiritual needs that we have, we would be doing better physically. I'm sure of that. 
In fact, all of Paul's prayers that he wrote that are recorded while in prison, they deal with the, the believer's spiritual condition, not the physical. Now, is there anything wrong with praying for the, the physical? Absolutely not. I'm so thankful you prayed for me these last two weeks. I experienced, while I was on my back, feeling the worst I possibly could feel, I was reminded that God's people were praying for me. And that's so important as we mentioned prayer today, those that are hurting and those that need God's touch. But what I'm suggesting to you is that there should be a balance. I loved being in my Sunday school class this morning and hearing the prayers of our class And yes, mentioning the needs that we face physically. And I know how they were praying for me. But then to turn that to the spiritual side of things, praying for our search committee, praying for our country, praying for the spiritual warfare that we go through. And there should be that balance. Sometimes we just get focused on the physical needs. But how refreshing it would be to hear in our Sunday school time, in our community groups, in our gatherings. Would you please pray for me spiritually? I'm struggling with temptation. I'm going through spiritual warfare. Pray for my unbelief. Pray God would have his way in this temptation that I'm facing. And so we need to be praying in balance, certainly, for what's going on in in our lives. Another thing I notice is that Paul's emotions are fully engaged. The apostle understood not only the importance of prayer, but the power of prayer. And I think you know that. Lives are changed as a result of prayers. Situations are changed as a result of prayers. As I came today knowing that my my voice was struggling, uh, I didn't teach in my class. I spoke briefly. I determined that I was going to sit here and not sing so that I could preserve my voice. And it just was an impossibility. My spirit just wanted to shout out. And I kept saying, don't do it. And my heart just says, sing those words. Praise your God. I was just so uplifted with that. And the truth is, that should be our desire. To have our heart in our prayers. He was praying with fervency. He was praying with a sense of urgency. And folks, as a church, as individuals, that's where we need to be. In 2024, as a result of the many needs we face, this prayer is focused on the need for power. This word power or strengthen is used four different times. This is the second prayer in Ephesians that is recorded. First one was in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, where Paul's concern was for enlightenment so that we might know God's power. Here in chapter 3, he's praying for empowerment that we might use the divine power That is available to us. And so, if we're going to experience fullness, fullness of life, fullness of joy, fullness of God himself, we need to consider what this passage means, and by extension, what it means to us personally. Sadly, there are many today that observe God's word. That's the first thing. Observe what God's word says. We even interpret what God says. We have so many tools available to us, commentaries, original language, and we interpret what does this mean? We are a people of knowledge. We have so many Bible studies going on. I'm speaking to one person that is involved in four Bible studies during the week. That's a great thing. But I want to caution us about busyness does not mean effectiveness. 
And you should always be praying and looking for application of the word. How is this going to change me? God, how is your word going to be used in my life today that I'm more like my Savior? And so we want to be praying with that mind. And so let's, as we interpret and apply, let's dig into this. And once again, for context, notice with me Paul's invocation in verse 14 and 15. And the first thing we notice is his posture here. He says in verse 14, I bow my knees. I kneel is what he's saying here. And it's interesting as you think of Paul when he was under house arrest that he was in chains. And um, it could have been a variation of chains. And at this particular time, it could have been actually to a Roman soldier. If it was, they oftentimes used those short shackles from wrist to wrist. And I just think, what was that like for the Roman soldier, for Paul to get on his knees and begin to pray? But whatever the case, what this represents is the posture of his heart. It shows great humility. It was an act of humble position and petition. Think about your own posture when you're praying. We all pray in different ways. I know that. Sometimes you're sitting, reading your Bible and praying. It's a natural thing to be doing. Sometimes we stand, and, and that was oftentimes, and especially in biblical times, the most common way people prayed. Sometimes out of desperation, we kneel. Or in cases like I find myself, I'm on my face. I want to get as low as I can before God, representing a heart that just loves him and recognizes my shortcomings. But whatever the posture, be sure it's representing the attitude of your heart, humble submission before God. Paul refers to God as Father here. He does so 42 times in different times in his letters. And there's no other description used as frequently. And this phrase denotes intimacy. It talks about his closeness with God. It's the same word that Jesus uh, describes Jesus' prayer. And Paul says that from the whole family in heaven and earth is named from God the Father. I love that portion of scripture because it reminds me that as creator, God is father of all. But as Savior, he's God of the saved. That's just a scriptural approach. And notice some of God's family is already in heaven. Some of us still on earth. Recently from our own church family, Barbara Petta, Eloise Bowles, Judy Smith, Larry Hall have been promoted to glory. And they represent this heavenly body. Folks, it won't be long before we're there as well. And then verse 16 begins with the petition part of the prayer with the phrase, that he would grant you. In this, position, in this petition, there are basically four specific requests. I like what one commentator said. He says, these are not isolated individual petitions, but rather like four parts to a telescope. One request leads to the next one and so on. And Paul prays that out. Inner beings may have spiritual strength. Don't you need that? Which will in turn lead to a deeper experience with Christ. That's my, my prayer so often. God, I want to go deeper with you. But that deeper experience will enable us to comprehend 
God's great love. You say, well, I know of that love. Not in the way that we can with the Spirit, giving us that power to uh, truly understand and appreciate God's love for us. And that, once again, will lead us to that point of being filled with the fullness of God. Paul is praying for strength, for depth, for comprehension, and for fullness. And Paul makes these requests not according to our ability to receive, but to God's ability to give. In other words, Paul doesn't want us to have a portion of God. He wants us to have the full, limitless supply of God himself. According to or out of his glorious riches, he will give and give and give. And there is more in God's endowment fund than we can ever, ever experience. We are beneficiaries of his riches. So what does that mean for you and me? Well, the first request is for God to give power and strength to the very core of our beings through the Holy Spirit. And the implication here is that this power is only available to individuals that are saved. Because the Spirit has to be within you. Romans 8, 9 tells us if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So to experience this power kind of encourages us to know when we're experiencing God's power, we're his child. But if you have difficulty experiencing God's power, you might take a step back and examine what, what does your salvation look like? How did it come about? What is the fruit in your life? By the power of the Holy Spirit, as Paul is praying for this, this is what we need. And I'm afraid too often that, that we're functioning without the power of the Holy Spirit. Someone has said, if God took the Holy Spirit out of the world, most of what we Christians are doing would go right on and nobody would notice the difference. Wouldn't that be sad? So are we living, serving, worshiping in the power of the Spirit? We should be. That's Paul's prayer for us, and it's available to us. The word translated power is the Greek word duminous, from which we get the word dynamic or dynamite. And we understand that, that that's pretty amazing in and of itself, but it's more than that. I don't know that the words can fully give us the understanding. It's resurrection power, what God is able to do in our lives. Sadly, when we are spiritually weak, what do we do? Oftentimes, we, we go to friends and family for encouragement, and, and that's not a bad thing. But too often, we don't go to God till there's no one else to go to. And shouldn't he be our first stop, not our last? He's the one that can do it. He's the one that can change us. He's the one that can refresh us, revitalize us, empower us, and he does it on the inside where God is at work. And even though our bodies grow weaker, Certainly when we're sick, certainly as we're aging, our inner being can grow stronger. 2 Corinthians 4.16 reminds us, therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. As our bodies grow old and frail, our spirits can grow strong in the Lord. Those of you who visit our gems in the homebound ministry, are encouraged as we see our folks aging and folks that I visit in their 80s and 90s 
And I come away and I look at Janet and I say, wow, <laughs> we went to encourage them and I'm, I'm just feeling so encouraged by their spirit. And that is true of what God can do. And so the Holy Spirit empowers us so that we can go deeper in our walk with Christ. And we see this in verse 17. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And Paul uses these three pitches to convey the idea of spiritual depth in our fellowship with Christ as he chooses these verbs, dwell, rooted, and grounded. So God wants us to be more than merely saved. Huh. I said it. Now, it's a wonderful thing to be saved, but I think one of the saddest things there is that we're just saved, that there's no fruit in our lives, that we're not telling the same story that was told to us, that we're not jumping into ministry and church and, and asking God, Lord, what would you have me to do like Paul? Being saved is a great blessing. Angels rejoice. But Paul is saying there is so much more available to us. And Paul's prayer is that Christ would dwell in our hearts. This word is a compound of two Greek words. Kata, which means down, and oikos, which means house. And literally means to settle down and feel at home. And, and that's exactly what Jesus wants to do. He doesn't want to be a guest in our house. He wants to be at home in our house. He is the owner of us. He purchased us. Shouldn't he feel at home? There are many illustrations of uh, our lives being Christ's home. Uh, one I came across was a, a booklet called My Heart, Christ's Home, in which the Christian life is pictured as a house. And Jesus comes into the house, and as he goes through the rooms, he goes into the uh, library of the mind. And he begins to clean up the trash that's found there, and he replaces it with his word. He then, in this booklet, enters into the dining room of the appetite. And there he finds many sinful desires listed on a worldly menu. And he replaces things like materialism, pride, envy, lust with humility, love, purity. And when he finally comes to a closet, there's a hesitation. That's the spot we don't want God to see. But he does. He knows what's in there. We're just ashamed at that given moment. But when we realize we need God's work and we open that up, he goes in, he cleans it up, and we prosper. That's exactly what we need. We put our faith in him for the needed renovations in our lives. The verb rooted here is from the plant word. And just as a tree must have Roots deep down in the soil, if they're going to have both nourishment and stability, so too we as believers must have spiritual roots that go deep down into the love of God. With the recent rains we've had and the strong winds, I'm sure you've experienced some trees coming down near you or maybe even on your property. And the reason was they didn't go down deep enough. That can be true of us as well. But Psalm 1 tells us that we can become like living trees with a root system that's healthy and stable. It speaks of one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And listen to the result. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, 
whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does, he shall prosper. That's what we desire. But listen to verse 4 there. It says, but the ungodly are not so. Folks, what you're pursuing will determine how deep you go with God. The word grounded here in verse 17, an architectural term that is translated in some versions, established. And it refers to a foundation of a building. I love what Paul's doing here. He's mixing his metaphors in order to communicate the importance of going deep with God. Surface Christianity, folks, is not going to help you in your times of trials, depression, temptation, and difficulty. And so if you're going to have victory and experience fullness, we're going to need deep roots and a firm foundation. Are your roots as wide as your branches? Is your foundation as deep as your life is tall? God longs for us to be anchored deeply in his love. In Paul's petition, he prays for strength. He prays for depth. His third request is for comprehension. We see this in verse 18 and first part of 19. He says, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Now some translations use the word grasp which literally means to be made strong to comprehend. So if we're talking about a joke, we might say, do you get it? Louis Armstrong was once asked to explain jazz. And he said, man, if I got to explain it, you ain't got it. Paul wants us to get it. And that's what he's trying to show us here. He wants all the saints to take hold of this divine love. And when you hear all the saints, you're not thinking of someone that was like especially holy and, and, and in heaven now. Uh, he's speaking to believers who have been set apart for Christ. And in the New Testament, that's what the word saint means. It means it's a synonym for Christian. But then in verse 18, he continues by laying out four dimensions of God's love. How do you measure the unmeasurable. How's that possible? How wide is it? Well, it's immense. It reaches all people, all nations, all sins, all needs, all situations. How long is the love of God? It existed before time. It will never end. It's unconditional. How high is God's love? It's high enough to take those who are saved to heaven. And you should rejoice in that thought. How deep is the love of God? Deep enough to take the worst sinner from the uttermost to the guttermost. The early Christians spoke of the love of Christ as demonstrated on the cross. And they said the cross touched the earth, pointed to heaven, and stretched out both ways. And their thought was, if you ever questioned the love of God, just look at the cross. Look what he did for us. That, my friends, is the love of God. At the beginning of verse 19, it seems like a contradiction as he says, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Excuse me? <laughs> know the love of Christ that passes knowledge? How can we know something beyond knowing? How do we know the unknowable? Humanly speaking, we can't. 
It is by the Spirit of God that we can experience. It's not intellectual. It's divine. It comes with salvation. When I was hearing the gospel, not understanding it, and seeing my wife's life amazingly transformed by what God did in her life, I began to want to know more. And I would occasionally, as she would plant her Bible nearby where I would be, would pick it up and say, maybe it's here. And I would read and read and, yeah, it's not here. And then, in simple faith, called upon the Savior and got saved. Picked up that same book, reading through the Gospel of John, and tears rolling down my face as I now understood the love of God on my behalf. And folks, if you're not experiencing the love of God, you should question where you are with God. Are you truly saved? This fourth petition Paul makes is to experience fullness. And this is in the last part of verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And once again, had he contained the uncontainable. It's an amazing thought. And as believers have been created to be the containers of God. That doesn't like just, whoa, wow, God in me, working. And and this idea of being filled, it's a word that means overflowing, like a cup. If I put something in the sink and you leave the water running and you just see it overflowing. That's, That's the idea here. It means total dominance. To come to the place in your life where you're totally overwhelmed by the love of God and his presence in your life. It means giving everything to God and leaving nothing for yourself as Paul did. As sometimes we've done, but something pulls us back into the world. So what is the application for us? Do you want to experience the fullness of God? You that are at home and couldn't be with us today, do you want to experience the fullness of God? That's what Paul prays for believers. And if you don't have this kind of fullness, then you should be praying this kind of prayer. Lord, fill me. Lord, show any wicked way in me that I might confess it and surrender to you. Lord, I want all of you. Too often we want some of the Lord and some of us, but we miss out on the Lord's best. When you think of an empty cup, how do you get all the air out of it? It's only one way. We fill it with something else. And how do we remove the weakness, the sin, and the junk in our lives? By being filled with the fullness of God. My friends, there's great instruction in God's word today to do amazing things in our life in 2024. Paul finishes with the benediction as we come to the last two verses of our text. And after contemplating the thrill of experiencing God's power, plumbing the depths of God's love, and trying to grasp all that he has for us, striving to be filled with the fullness of God, Paul burst forth in a glorious doxology of praise. These four petitions can very easily seem beyond our reach, but they are unless God intervenes. It is this beautiful benediction that Paul uses every word possible to convey the vastness love of God 
and his power that is available to us. Just look at what he's able to do in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Think about that for a moment, folks, because there it is. Just look at what God's able to do. Now to him who is able. God is able, my friends. We forget it sometimes when we're facing difficulties physically. We forget it when relational relationships have burst wide open. We forget it when we're facing a financial difficulty. But God is able. We understand that theoretically. We need to experience it. Understand it experientially. Think about what he has done in your life. What he has brought you through. He's the same God. And we're so thankful that he is. But not only is he able. It goes on to say he's able to do. Folks, God is active in our lives. He is working in our lives. He knows what's going on in our lives. And he's able to minister to us. Meet every need. But not only is he able to do, he's able to do exceedingly. That's the idea of immeasurably more. His expectations are higher than our requests. You think of something you've been going through and been on your face and in prayer and, and crying out to God. He's able to do so much more that we ask or think. And that's what we're being told. And he's able to do exceedingly more than we ask. Prayer warriors, and I know there are many of you, be encouraged. God listens to our prayers. He's able to do a measure more than we ask or imagine. He knows our thoughts. He knows our heart. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our desires. And he knows what is best for us. And he does it all according to his power that works within us. He does it all through the power that is ready there if you're a child of God. The phrase translated abundantly above in verse 20 is the same word for the abundant grace of God in Romans 5.20. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Literally means super abundantly. What more added to that? And that's like saying more than, more than. I don't even know if we could wrap our minds of all that's available to us. But folks, as we utilize the power God gives to us, we see that God receives glory. And it brings us full circle once again, folks. It brings us to the understanding of God's glory through the church in Christ. So how do you feel about the church? Because in this portion of Scripture, God says the church is important. The church, God's people, bring him glory. In Christ, are you committed to this body of believers? Are you praying for what God has for us this year? Are you serving with a heart that loves God, wants to bring glory to him, and demonstrated by a heart of doing whatever we can? I can tell you that the pastoral team is so encouraged when we see people joining Calvary. This morning we had a uh, membership class. There were eight people in there. And, and you're aware that this past year we had a number of folks join Calvary. And it wasn't the mindset, well, let's see who that lead pastor is going to be. 
Uh, let's wait and see how, listen, commitment says, I'm in. This is my church family. And if we go through something tough, we're shoulder to shoulder. We're going to make it. And in doing so, we're going to bring him glory through the church in Christ. That's our call, folks. That's what he wants to do in our lives. And doesn't all this lead to a question? Why are we Christians often deficient? You may leave today and, and you may be saying, that sounded so great. I want fullness of life, fullness of joy. I want fullness of God himself. Why am I struggling in experiencing that? Why are there so many power outages in my spiritual life? And truthfully, there's only two answers to the question. Either our theology is wrong and, and God is not able to do what he says. Or our theology is right. And we're just short-circuiting the process. Now we know it's not God, but it's us. We're just not tapping into the power that he has made available to us. Either we don't care or we choose our sin or we're trying to do it in our own strength. But Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So let's give some application to the word today. And if you're wanting that fullness of God, if you're wanting that fullness of experiencing who he is in a greater way, of joy, of life, of God himself. Let me give you three steps that can get you on your way. And the first is this. Pray this prayer for yourself on a regular basis and pray like you've never prayed before. Can you get to that place where you're just alone and you're praying, God, I want that power. I want that deepness. I want that richness. I want to know you in a deeper way. I want to experience all of you. And Lord, I'm letting the rest of me go. I want you more than anything else. Pray this prayer for yourself and don't stop praying it. Pray it for the rest of the month. Pray it with all your heart that God changes your inner person. Yeah, pray for physical needs, but make this the most important prayer you can be praying. Secondly, pray this for other folks. We need this as a church. Pray for your community group. Pray for your care group, your class, your inner circle. Pray for those that you love and, and want God to do a great work. Put their names in the text and pray this and pray it with all your heart that God can give them that strength, that depth, that comprehension, that fullness. And then finally, for you who are facing a difficult situation right now, and I know there are some of you, whether it's your health, whether it's a relationship, a financial need or a spiritual need, but you need hope right now. Whatever impossible situation you're facing right now, would you make a decision to trust God? To pray, yes, but to trust him. We are saved by grace through faith, and it's the way we should live our lives, trusting him. He's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine by the power that is within us. A little girl turned to her mother after a church service one day, and she said, Mommy, the pastor's sermon confused me today. Mom said, Why is that, sweetie? She says, Because he said, God is bigger than us. Is that true? Mom says, Yeah, of course that's true. 
But mom, he also said that God lives in us. Is that true? Mom said, yeah, that's true as well. And the little girl said, but, but mom, if he's in us and he's bigger than us, wouldn't he show through? An interesting thought. Is God showing through in your lives? In the difficult times? In the trials of life? In the temptations that are defeating you? Is God showing through? Because if he hasn't made a difference, what's the difference? Folks, he wants to do amazing things for you today. And if he's not showing through in your life, it's quite possible that you've never been saved. Perhaps you've never truly repented of your sin. Perhaps you've never gotten on your face and cried out to God, Lord, I am a sinner. Forgive me for my life and what it represents. And I believe Jesus is the Son of God, died for my sin, rose again. And I trust him. I call upon you, Lord, to save me. If you haven't done that, or if you're not seeing the fruit in your life, consider why. That's something you can do in a moment as I go to prayer. I know you well, and I know so many of you, your testimonies, and I know of your faith in the Lord Jesus. But I also know that there are times in our lives that we have just lost hope. We begin to question the things that we held so dear to our heart, and we're wondering, where is God? Maybe today, you just need to come and give it to him. You who are at the end of your rope, let it go. Let God do something great in your lives. We're going to pray in a moment, and I invite you to come. I invite you couples that want to dedicate 2024 to the Lord, to have victory and do great things in your marriage, come. I'll pray with you. I invite you young people, as you're facing insurmountable things in school and bills and other things that are going on in your life, come. Cry out to Jesus and let him have his will and way. And wherever you are in life, the invitation is to come. Whether you're unsaved, Jesus came to seek and to save them that are lost. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're struggling just with things in your life, he wants you to know that he says, come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, and maybe that's the rest you need. He invites us in Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens that door, I'll come into him. And maybe as we sing in just a moment, we need to come and pray and dedicate our lives to God for what he has for us this year and most importantly, to experience the fullness of God himself. Following our service, our pastors will be at the exits. If we could answer questions, take you to Scripture and show you what salvation looks like biblically, please don't leave without settling that. And I just trust that God will bless you as we sing in Christ alone. My hope is found, and I trust that is true for you. Would you pray with me? Father, much has been said today and such an amazing portion of Scripture that speaks to the very depth 
of the need that we have most. And that's your fullness. Father, you know every heart here. You know every need. And I pray that, that your people would respond to an invitation to come. Come and bow the knee. Lord, may we see you do great things in our lives, individually, collectively. Thank you for who you are. May you receive glory through the church in Christ. For it's in his name.